My name is Dagfinn Heyerdahl Paust. Uh, I am Norwegian. I live in Norway. I'm 70 years old and went to Atlantic College in 1970 72, uh, really for the purpose not of education, but to participate in the unique rescue services there, where I became the captain of the student rescue boat service. So the Atlantic College was established in 1962 in an old castle in Wales by a famous German educator who also was behind the Gordonston School in um, Scotland and Rear Admiral Desmond Hoare, who had uh, uh, been an uh, active service during the, the Second World War and subsequently helped working with uh, London's bombed out slums. And the objective was to foster international understanding through education and contribute to peace. It was important that the school should be something special and they wanted us, uh, and, and it's located on the edge of the Bristol Channel and therefore they had rescue services as part of the curriculum, so to speak. Cliff rescue, canoe lifeguards and beach lifeguards originally. And later, because we had a lot of sailing activity and the seas are extremely rough out there, we needed to support the sailing activities with Zodiac, uh, flimsy or inflatable boats. Uh, and very soon this uh, became a rescue service. With that came a, a natural development of the, the, the boat concept and experimenting with uh, creating a, a more rigid hull. And with the help of all the students, we built various alternatives until uh, 1971. Uh, the X-17 was launched with um, Prince Charles at the helm in the maiden voyage. Um, uh, and this was one of the three uh, prototypes for the Atlantic class ILB boats that are now in service across hundreds of uh, RLI stations in the British Isles in the form of the Atlantic 75 and the Atlantic 85. So just remember, when you hear the word Atlantic class, think of Atlantic College. The college was connected to the Coast Guard, just like, you know, you, you, you dial 999 and if it's a coastal matter and if it had anything to do with the coastline from Barry on the Glamorgan coast west to, to Port Call, the call came to, to Atlantic College and a klaxon would sound, a siren, wailing all over the, the beautiful grounds there and the grazing cows and we would storm out of our uh, dorm rooms or our classrooms, happy to miss yet another lecture, undressing as we ran down to the to the seafront to get into our wetsuits that we had made ourselves, hoping to be picked out to, to be part of the crew. And for us who were in the rescue boats, we'd go out to sea, directed by our launch authority, our honorary secretary, as it's called in that time, who was originally the old admiral, our principal, and uh, we would go wherever it took us. But the most common thing was people walking along the, the beaches below the cliffs. This is just like the white cliffs of Dover and people get caught uh, by the tide, uh, and there were lots of drownings, uh, and also terrible uh, climbing accidents, people trying to climb up. So the, uh, these teenagers uh, would quite often face death. It was a typical uh, school day. We'd had our classes at lunch, and I think just before we were sent out to uh, um, 
our normal uh, afternoon activities at sea, a call came in for a, a plane that had gone down or supposedly had gone down far out into the Bristol Channel. Uh, and we went out looking for it together with the lifeboat from Minehead across the, uh, the, the channel uh, in, in Somerset to no avail. Came back for dinner. And suddenly during uh, dinner, another call, uh, klaxon uh, sounded and uh, we were we went run down and this time it was two people missing uh, gone for a walk along the beach by nash point a, a rather infamous point on the wales coast it was a, a man and his nephew a 10 or 11 year old boy so we went out it was seven o'clock 7 30 7 30 i think by the time we we we, we launched two boats and uh, we, we could barely see them as we arrived off the shore. The light was, was fading and they were in the shade of the uh, cliffs, which are very high there, over 100 feet. There were still some uh, dry water uh, there for they, them to stand on, but we had the impression that the tide was still incoming and we had to act quickly. Impossible to land the boats there because of the nasty uh, rocks. Uh, so as uh, I was in charge, uh, I could not order anyone else to do this. So we, we anchored the boats and um, we had a lifeline, a, a reel, uh, and that was standard equipment um, in, in all the boats. And I attached myself to the harness and swam in a couple of hundred meters through the nasty surf uh, to try to retrieve the boy, which was... Uh, uh, Quite an, a nasty experience because I landed in the middle of these boulders moving around in the waves uh, on the sea edge. But I managed to, to get hold of the boy and uh, agreed with his uncle that I would try to retrieve him, wading out into the water and being hauled out with my lifeline. What I didn't know was that my lifeline had gotten trapped in the moving boulders. And the boys out in my boat couldn't see me because it had become even darker. And of course, the waves were quite high, so they could only see my head once in a while earlier anyway over the, the, the crashing surf. So I waded out thinking I was going to be pulled. Uh, no pull came. And in the end, uh, we got entangled in the rope, the boy and I, and I uh, in the crashing surf, and he panicked and I lost him. That was the time I really thought it was uh, we were we near the end. Um, I uh, was able to entangle myself from the lifeline, washed ashore, and fortunately found the boy. But he was floating upside down, a face down. I thought he was dead. The uncle had been observing this from a, a rock a little bit higher up, and uh, we were able to, to, to pull the boy up. And I uh, then uh, proceeded with mouth-to-mouth and chest uh, manipulation uh, and was able to resuscitate him. Uh, this was, of course, quite, quite a relief for a barely 18-year-old. Um, I think my birthday was two months earlier. So we had to try to wait it out. And it turned out the tide did not uh, rise to, uh, to our level completely. And a few hours later, we were able to carry the boy out. Then, of course, the important thing was to get the boy to hospital as soon as possible because he was obviously terribly cold. And I just disappeared into the crowd and found a Coast Guard Land Rover and hitchhiked back to the college. 
and there I, I just walked down to the to the seafront and could help out landing the last of the boats that had been gone that had gone out to to sea that night. Uh, and that included uh, one of the boats that our headmaster had gone out in because he had become rather concerned when I had been missing in action for two hours and really had prepared himself for, for calling my parents and, and for the first time and the only time in, in the college history that there might have been a, a fatality. But um, then he saw me and uh, I got a huge hug and everybody was happy. What I think about most afterwards were my, my, my crewmates sitting out on the boat not knowing what had happened to their buddy because they still have the lifeline. And what do they do? Should we still keep pulling? Should we cut it? Uh, there were quite some discussions going on that they've told me about uh, later. That was, that was quite heart-wrenching, you know, heart I, I think, for, for them. I was asked by our ex-headmaster um, to write a book about our experiences uh, with some of my fellow students. And we collected stories of call-outs collecting over 50 stories over the 50-year time span, from the first call-outs in 1963, told by old-timers now 80 years old, and finalizing with last rescue, uh, rescue boat call-out to save a paddleboard border in June 2013. And that book is called Trained and Trusted, What Teenagers Can Do If You Let Them. And the subtitle says it all. Teenagers can do a lot more than you think if you let them. When the uh, RNLI station closed in 2013, after 50 years, um, the RNLI presented a, a plaque and it uh, is hanging on the wall in the old uh, castle of the college. It says that over the 50-year history, the crew of Atlantic College Lifeboat Station have launched into service 459 times and saved a total of 98 lives. In my estimation, at least the same number of lives were saved by the college lifeguards on the Southern Down and Ogmore beaches in that period, and even more until the closure of that service in 2018. So when including the cliff rescue unit, it seems fair to claim that these teenage rescue crews saved hundreds of lives. I think for most of my fellow students at the time, uh, Atlantic College was a life-changing experience and uh, made a huge difference uh, in their in the in their lives as adults and uh, some many in the choice of profession there are a lot of uh, volunteers also rnli volunteers like ella de Broyle, uh, and many people have become uh, doctors and members of the uh, charity Médecins sans frontiers for example the RNLI, with its volunteers, the local community connection, the pub owner and the local doctor, uh, everybody just running uh, down and helping out, um, it is just a fantastic thing. I am Ella Dubroy. I am crew at Chiswick Lifeboat. If you want to hear more stories from the RNLI's 200 Voices collection, then head to rnli.org forward slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. 200 Voices is produced for the RNLI by Adventurous Audio Limited.